following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. <clears throat> Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of the land of Egypt. Um, Maybe uh, there's times in your life where you feel uh, like Moses feels here. Kind of the background of the story we looked at last week, uh, you know, God had called Moses at the burning bush uh, to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go out of your land, set them free. So uh, Moses is not at all convinced that this plan is going to work, right? He's not walking in great faith, but he's obedient. And he goes to Pharaoh and he speaks the word that God gave him to speak. And it turns out to be just a total disaster, right? Uh, Pharaoh doesn't listen, doesn't pay attention to the words of God. Um, The suffering of the people actually increases instead of getting better. Things just get worse. And then in the end of it all, uh, the people blame, blame Moses, right? Moses, this is all your fault that you did this to us. Um, And, and so, uh, verse 22 begins, Moses has this prayer of complaint. God, why? Why did you send me? You know, it's just making things worse. It's been nothing but a disaster. Uh, and certainly the people of Israel also were feeling uh, that God was not caring for them. Have you ever felt that way? Felt like, you know, God just does not care about you. Uh, God, maybe you feel like sometimes God has forgotten you. Things are hard. Life is difficult. You struggle. You pray, and it seems like God just isn't answering. Ever felt that way? Um, that God doesn't really care. Or, or maybe you feel that you're such a bad person, you, 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 you just are constantly failing God, so why would God help you, right? You deserve what you're getting. Well, certainly that's 
kind of the place where Moses is. That's the place where the people are. Um, and as we ended last, last Sunday, we mentioned that what they really need, God is going to, and we know, that, we know how the story ends, right? We know that the exodus is coming. We know that God's going to work. But what they need is the faith to hold on until things start to happen, right? And, and it's true for us. When we're struggling, when we're, when we're doubting God, when we are looking at our circumstances and they seem overwhelming, what we need is a much deeper faith uh, that God is with us, that he hasn't forgotten us. And if you remember, we, 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 we ended last week talking about the word patience. What the people needed was patience. And patience is simply waiting on God with faith. Waiting, trusting that God is going to work out his plan. Uh, and he gives us the patience to endure when we know that. Um, but the question is, how do we build faith? You're in the midst of a disaster. Your life is falling apart. How do you increase your faith? What do you do to build up this deeper conviction that God's going to take care of things so you can wait patiently? Well, that's kind of where Moses and the people are. They, um, they definitely need um, a foundation of faith. And so the next step for them in their journey uh, in their spiritual growth and their spiritual journey is really to come to a place of much deeper faith in God. They need to build into their hearts and lives a foundation of faith. And, and we need that as well. So how do we do that? How do we increase our faith? Well, uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by what? Faith comes by hearing, right? And uh, there's great truth in that. We will increase our faith uh, by the input of God's word, and, and, and God knows that. God gave that word to, to Paul in Romans. And so what we see in this passage is that God meets their doubt with further revelation, further speaking of his word. And God both meets, first of all, with Moses, and then he meets with uh, through Moses to the people, and he delivers his message. And the point of it all is that through the preaching of the word, faith would increase. Right? Sounds great, right? Uh, so God actually gives them some incredible per- some, some uh, incredible reminder of his promises through through a, a sermon, if you will, that, that he gives to Moses. And first of all, off he gives uh, he gives some encouraging words to Moses directly. It says in verse two that God God spoke to Moses and he says, "I am Yahweh." Literally, the Lord there is Yahweh, God's covenant name. That's important. We'll come back to that. In fact, in verses two to eight. Uh, there's four times when, when God uses this phrase, I am Yahweh. I am the I am. Right? So he starts off there. He says, I am, I am Yahweh. I am the I am. Uh, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard their groanings of the people uh, whom the who, uh, whom the Egyptians hold as, as slaves. So God gives two words here. First of all, he restates his covenant promise. He says to Moses, Remember, I am a God of covenant. I have made promises to Abraham, and I'm a God who keeps my promises. Secondly, he says, I've, I've heard their groaning. I've heard their cries. And implied in that is this idea that God is a God of compassion. When, God, when we cry out to God, it moves his heart to help those who cry to him. And so that's because I'm going to respond out of my compassion and I'm going to do something. 
Right? So that's the word that he gives to Moses. And then he goes on and he gives another word to Israel. He says, now go tell the Israelites this message. Uh, and in, in his message, he, he gives seven uh, I will statements. Okay, seven things he will do. And they can be kind of categorized into three main points. Quickly, they're this. First of all, I will save you. Okay, I'm going to save you. I am going to rescue you. He says, I'm going to bring you out under, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to deliver you from slavery. I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm. And I like the word redeem there. We talked about it before. It means to buy out of slavery. But it also implies, uh, in the Old Testament, a kinsman redeemer. Who is it that would buy a slave out of bondage? Well, a total stranger wouldn't do this, right? Uh, the way it would work is if, if your brother was kind of an idiot and irresponsible and got himself in huge debt and ended up being enslaved to pay off the debt, you as his brother, lucky you, <coughs> uh, have somewhat of a duty, duty as a kinsman redeemer. In other words, if you're a good brother and you actually like your brother, you would make the effort to redeem him. Right? So that's why in those days maybe families were closer. <laughs> You keep good relationships because if you get in trouble, you depend on your family to come bail you out. Thankfully, we don't have to do that today, right? <laughs> to let our brothers suffer. No, that's not true. Um, right, so he's a kinsman's redeemer. So this is a sense that God has this duty as a kinsman to, to save his people, right? So that's the first one. He says, I will, I'm going to save you, guaranteed. Second thing, he says, I will make you my people. And it's really a, a picture of adoption. I'm going to... I'm going to make sure you know this kinsman relationship that I have with you. He says in verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. So I'm going to take possession of you as family. Great picture of adoption. Thirdly, uh, he says, I'm going to give you an inheritance. Right? He says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. And then he ends it again with this phrase, I am Yahweh. So he says, I'm going to give you an, really an eternal inheritance, a possession, a land. Right? So that's really restating in just incredibly powerful and direct terms, seven statements of what God is going to do for them. Um, and I love that language, those three things, I will save you, I will adopt you, I will give you an inheritance, because those are, if, if we know our Bible at all, know the New Testament, we know that those are the major themes of, of the promises of the gospel, right? I mean, these are not just how God saved in the Old Testament, but it's identical to God's saving work in our life. He's told us, I will save you. I will adopt you as children. And I will give you an, an eternal inheritance. So, uh, so here are gospel promises that God is proclaiming powerfully through Moses to his people. Uh, and... And this should be the, the basis of faith, right? So God gives, and, and it's, you know, when the, when the sermon, I wish this worked for me, you know, and I prayed this, like, God, you know, if, if you would just give me directly exactly what I'm supposed to say and I'll go deliver it on Sunday morning, I would like that much better. Um, God doesn't do that for us. He's given us his word directly, and then we have to study it and uh, come up with our own words to say that somehow communicate Scripture. But God gets, I mean, Moses gets the word direct from God, and he goes, and he says, Thus saith the Lord, God's going to save you, God's going to adopt you, God's going to give you this possession, you're not going to be slaves anymore, life's going to be good, let's all worship and praise God and celebrate, right? Is that what happens? No. Verse 9, 
Moses delivers his message. Uh, says Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He spoke those words, right? But they did not listen. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Okay, they could not hear the word of the Lord because of these great obstacles in their life. Uh, and and the, the obstacles, he names two of them. Two obstacles that are keeping them from hearing this word that will increase and grow their faith. And here's the obstacle. So the first one was an inward obstacle. Uh, the ESV and a lot of translations use the phrase, they were broken in spirit. Uh, it's a terrible translation, right? Um, it, it, it's, it really is not that they were broken in spirit. Now, they were crushed. Certainly, they were broken in spirit. But that's not really what's implied in these words. The word literally is they were short-spirited, right? They were, they were short of spirit, right? Um, I'm really thankful I'm tall. For the most part, that's a good thing, um, um, not always, but usually. It's hard to find pants, though. That's my, that's my big obstacle, right? Um, maybe some people like to be short. I don't know. But in, in spiritual terms, to be short of spirit is not good. Okay? God does not want people who are spiritually stunted. He wants people who are spiritually tall. Right? He says their problem is they are spiritually short. Um, and really the idea is that they are lacking something spiritually. There's spiritual deficits in their life. Um, in fact, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, this phrase, short of spirit, is, is translated and clearly means in those contexts, it means to be impatient. To be impatient or to be short-tempered. Right? To be, uh, and, and, and so it has this idea that they, they had no spiritual capacity to believe and trust God. So if, if patience is waiting with faith, impatience means waiting without faith. Right? So... So, so what, what their core problem is internally is that they, they don't have faith, right? They have no faith to believe and accept and hear God's words, right? And then, of course, there were outward obstacles as well, and that obstacle was their harsh slavery, their circumstances. Um, and they were in very difficult circumstances. Their problems were real, and their suffering was real, and it was crushing. No doubt about that. They're... Uh, their, their problems were real, and problems can have that effect on us, right? It's easy, it's easy to follow God when everything's going smoothly, amen? <laughs> That's what I'm praying for. God, I can do this much easier if, you know, if there aren't problems in my life. But what happens when life starts to fall apart, right? What happens when there are tests and difficulties and struggles, and you are suffering, is it easy to follow God then? Well, no, it is, it is admittedly much more difficult. Um, and and, and it, it's a serious problem, and here's why. When life's going smoothly and we're going well, you know, we can follow God, but trials come, difficulties come, financial stress, relationship problems, life falls apart, health issues. Uh, if we don't have patience, if we don't have faith to wait on God, and we start feeling like the Israelites are here, God doesn't care about me, God doesn't love me, I've prayed and God's just ignored my request. If we can't endure with patience, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do, and I know from personal experience, I'm going to start looking to other gods to do what I feel like God's not doing for me. 
but I'm going to look for other places to solve my problems. Um, if it's financial problems, I'll get out my credit card and I'll use the God of credit to fix my problem because I can't wait for God to take care of it. Right? Whatever my problems are, if I can't wait on God, I'm going to start looking to other gods and ultimately that's sin. Right? That's how we fall into sin because we're not trusting, we're not waiting, we're not believing that God is going to take care of our problems. So we've got to deal with these obstacles. <clears throat> Uh, we, we need to somehow, uh, you know, get over them, right? Now, of course, what the, the Israelites were at, where they were, I was like, yeah, sure, that's right. Just God, just deal with our circumstances. You, you deal with the outward circumstances and life will be better for us. But God knew that that was not enough because the real issue was not the outward circumstances. Their real problem was they were spiritually short, Right? They were lacking internally what they needed to know God and follow him and walk with him. Okay, so we get back to the same problem. The problem is still they need, they need faith. Right? They need to build up their inner person with greater faith. How are they going to do that? Well, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing comes by the word. God spoke the word, but what happened? They couldn't hear it. Okay, now... Okay, there's a problem here, right? So what they need is faith. How faith is going to come is through the word, but they can't hear the word that can give them greater faith. Okay, so Houston, we have a problem, right? It's kind of like a person drowning. Have you ever, you know, you've seen movies or been in a, in a situation where somebody is drowning and you have at your disposal a lifesaver, a, you know, a big life ring, right, that you can throw out to them to help them. So they're floundering in the water. They're starting to sink. You see that they're drowning. You throw them out the lifesaver, but they're so desperate in their panic that they, they won't grab hold of it, right? And the reason they won't grab hold of it is because they're drowning. So the thing that will help them, they, won't, they can't do because, because of where they're at. That's, that's exactly what's happening here. Moses is throwing them the lifesaver of God's word to hold on to, to keep them from drowning. But because they're drowning, because of their desperate state, they won't grab hold of the one thing that will help them. And they ignore the message, of, the message that will build faith. Uh, so what happens then? What happens when we're in that place? And maybe you've been in this place where you were so desperate, so low, so down, you can't even muster faith to pray for faith. Right? Uh, what happens? Well, that's exactly where Israel was. Um, they can't believe. They just can't hear the words that can help them. Well, we need to take a little bit of a detour, and I'm going to answer that question. Uh, but the answer comes uh, in understanding a little bit about what it means in the Old Testament to know God. Okay, it's a verse, it's a word, an expression that's used all throughout the Old Testament that they are to know God, uh, that God is revealing himself in order to make himself known that through his speaking, through his word, through the law, we can know him. But what exactly does that mean in, in Scripture? What does it mean to know him? Well, it's, it's an interesting problem in this passage, and here I'll show you why. If you look at verse 2, um, it says, God spoke to Moses and said, I am Yahweh, that, that phrase again. God says, I appear to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. Literally, uh, in Hebrew, El Shaddai. Right? So maybe you know that word. That's the word that's used here. I, I appear to, God, to them as El Shaddai. 
But by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Okay, so there's that word again, known. He says, I did not reveal, I did not make myself known to them as Yahweh. Um, so, so what exactly does that mean? I revealed myself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but not as Yahweh. It's a very cryptic phrase, and um, what, what does that mean? What's the point of that here? Well, what's really interesting about this phrase is that actually God did appear to Abraham as Yahweh. Right? Did you know that? Uh, God did not reveal his name Yahweh for the very first time to Moses at the burning bush. Okay, if you go back in Genesis, in 15, Genesis 15, and we'll look there, Genesis 15, God appeared to Abraham as Yahweh when he made his covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15:7 says this, And God said to, to him, to Abraham, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abraham said, How am I to know that I shall possess it? Right? So when God... God's going to make his covenant promise with Abraham, and he does it by revealing his name, Yahweh. Uh, then in Genesis, it's interesting, a little bit farther down, verse 13 of Genesis 15, God and Abraham are having this conversation about the assurance of his promises. And it says in verse 13, Then Yahweh said to Abraham, again, he's using his, his covenant name, Yahweh, he says, he says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Wow, so that's exactly what we're talking about. So all the way back with Abraham, when God made his covenant with Abraham, using the name, by the way, Yahweh, uh, he predicted and told exactly what would happen, that they would be slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but that God would, would, would deal with that nation. He would judge them and would set them free. And so then in verse 18, uh, Genesis 15:18, it says, On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. Okay, so, so God clearly revealed himself to Abraham as Yahweh. But here, uh, God says to Moses, I-, I did not make myself known by Yahweh. Okay, so does God just have a bad memory here? <laughs> or... What does this mean? Right? What does it mean? By my name, Yahweh, I didn't make myself known. I made myself known by El Shaddai, but not by Yahweh. Well, again, we need to know and understand what the word know means in the Old Testament. Um, and the problem is that this word means more than just knowing something about someone. Right? It, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that Abraham knew about God who had the name Yahweh. Okay, that's one kind of knowing. It's knowing information. But that's not what the word really means. The word actually has the idea of knowing something to be real because you've experienced it through a personal encounter. Right? So it's not just knowing information. It's knowing it through personal experience and personal encounter. So here's an example of what this means. Uh, has anybody here had elk steak? Anybody? Okay, a small few number of you who all live probably... In, in the U.S. or someplace that has elk, right? Because they don't actually sell it, and it's hard to find, right? So if I wanted to convince you how good elk steak was, I could describe it to you, right? I could show you pictures of it. I could try to describe its, its unique flavor, right? But would you know what elk steak tastes like? No. How's the only way you're going to know that? 
Well, the only way is if you, if I cook you some and I give you a bite of it and you taste it, right? Then you will really know what it tastes like because you will have what? You will have experienced it firsthand through a, a direct personal encounter. And see, that's what God's talking about here with Abraham. He says, look, sure, Abraham knew my name. He, he knew a description of me as the covenant God. And by the way, the, the, the name Yahweh is primarily his covenant-making name. Uh, it's, it's the name that's always associated in God's covenant dealings, his promises. He uses that name. Um, and, and in the covenant, God describes what he will do for Abraham. But it's only a promise that for Abraham is very far and distant. Okay, did Abraham actually experience the fulfillment of the covenant? No. Right? He only heard about its coming promise. Right? So that's what he means when he says, I did not reveal myself, my name Yahweh, to, to Abraham, because Abraham didn't experience the covenant in its unfolding, only in its giving. Right? Uh, he knew God as a covenant-making God, not as the covenant-keeping God. Not because God wouldn't keep his covenant, but because that's not... Abraham didn't live long enough, right? He didn't live long enough to experience what God predicted would happen in 400 years with his offspring. But notice what he says to Israel. So say to Israel, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you. In verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and then what will happen? Here's the, whole, here's the whole sermon right here. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. You shall know that I am Yahweh. How would Israel know God? How would they come to know Yahweh? Well, it wasn't just in describing who he was, in describing what he would do. What, what God is saying here is, you are going to know me through a direct personal experience and encounter. In other words, you are going to live out my salvation. And in, in a few months from now, after you've witnessed some crazy things in Egypt, frogs and lice and flies and dead cows and all kinds of cool stuff, right? Uh, you're going to be delivered. You're going to be chased out of out of. Out of, out of Egypt, and you're going to be out in the wilderness, and you're going to look back on this, and you will know Yahweh because you will have experienced his saving power in direct ways in your life. And that's what it means to know the name of Yahweh. Not just as information, but as experience. So, so here's the thing. What happens if they don't have any faith to believe in God's salvation? Which is where they're at. Right? They, they have no confidence in this at all. Right? They won't even listen to the words. So, so what happens? Well, here's the crazy thing. Right? God saves them anyway. Right? Isn't that amazing? God says, look, I'm going to save you. And when this is done, you will know my saving power, regardless of your faith. Right? It's the crazy thing about God. If he wants to save somebody, they don't even need to believe it for him to save them. Now, you may be saying, well, hold on, wait, wait, hold on a minute. You know, what happened to this whole, you know, the just, you know, are saved by faith? I mean, don't we get saved by faith? Don't we need faith to be saved? 
Well, certainly, um, s- salvation is, is, is absolutely something you need that's uh, dependent on your, uh, your faith. I mean, you, you need to believe in God, right? Uh, you will, you will appropriate, appropriate God's salvation through faith. But here's the thing. God's salvation is not dependent on your faith. Right? God saving Israel was not dependent on their faith. God says, look, I'm going to save them for two reasons. One, because I promised I would. I promised I would do this for Abraham. And so it's on the basis of my promise I'm going to deliver and rescue them if they believe or not. Secondly, I'm going to do this because I'm a God of compassion. And when they cry out, even when their cries are not of faith, I will respond in compassion and I will save them. Right? Uh, the beginning of God's saving work is his will, his heart, his plan, his purpose, his promise, not our faith. And that was true of Israel as, as Israel lives this out. Um, you know, they needed a foundation. They needed the solid foundation of faith. But that foundation had to be built on something other than faith. Right? If you're going to build a house, you, you need a good foundation. But to, to build the house, to put in the foundation, the first thing you do is you have to dig down deep until you get to really firm, solid dirt. Preferably rock. Right? Uh, that's really what you want. You want bedrock. You want solid rock. And you build your foundation on that rock, right? Well, that's, that's, what, that's what this is a picture of. Okay, faith is not the base. Faith is not the bottom thing. The bottom thing is what? Well, it's God's saving work. Right? So it's what God does to save uh, that our faith grows up out of. Right? Faith springs up out of what God does. We don't originate faith on our own. Right, so Romans 5, 1 to 3 puts it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he says that word, we need faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we must have faith. Through him we also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Right? So he says we, we enter into this grace by faith. We, we absolutely need faith. But then he goes on and he talks about where faith comes from. What's the deeper level that's under faith? In Romans 5, 6 through 8, he says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Did Jesus die for us because we had so much faith? No, he died for us when we were, when we were weak. We were spiritually short and we were ungodly. For, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Right? When we were rebels against him, when we wanted nothing to do with him, Jesus died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? You see that? Yes, we need faith. But faith's not the starting point. Faith is not the, the foundation. It's the saving work of God that is. And so what, what, what God says to Moses, don't even worry about their faith. Don't even worry. Here's the deal. I'm going to save them. 
And when they save them, they will know me through my mighty saving works, through my covenant-keeping work. And out of that, faith will grow. Same thing is true for us as believers. It is what Jesus has done on the cross that saved us. And he did it at a time when we had zero faith. Zero faith. Where does faith come from? Well, it comes from, it comes from his saving work in our life. Right? God does it first. That's why, you know, sorry to say it, but we don't originate our salvation. Right? There's nothing we do to make ourselves in a place where God will save us. It's because God predestined us. He called us. He chose us out. And somehow in his miracle of grace, he revealed himself his saving power to us in a way that we encounter it. Right? We, we come face to face with a personal experience of it. And faith springs out of that. So just to summarize that real quickly, and then I want to apply it with three quick points. Uh, so most of the Israel feel like God's abandoned them. They're despairing and discouraged. And what they need is faith. They are spiritually short. Uh, and faith can come by hearing, but they're, they're so low they can't hear because they have zero faith. But God saves them anyway, and the result of God's saving work in their life is faith sprouts up. So we'll see this later. It's a tough journey, but later, much later, right, they start to believe. They start to believe what God's doing. Um, so what's that mean for us? Well, it's three, three quick ways we can apply this. First off, uh, we need to preach the promises. Preach the promises. Um, as I said, God gives them really what amount to these amazing gospel promises. Um, and and Moses, uh, God tells Moses to preach that to Israel. Now, God knows that they don't have the faith to hear it or believe. But it doesn't matter. Because faith does come by hearing. And it's by encountering that message that we begin to experience its power. Uh, so we need to preach the gospel promises that, that we are saved through Christ alone. As Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more uh, shall we be saved by his life? Right, so we need, to preach to, we need to preach Christ. We need to preach these gospel promises. He saves us. He adopts us. Romans 8.16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? Those are amazing promises as Christians we need to hold on to. Uh, we need to preach uh, that we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8.17 says this, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And what I mean by that, we, we need to preach these gospel promises. And what I'm really saying is we need to preach them all the time. Right? We get this idea that somehow the gospel is for unsaved people, and that once you're saved, you really don't need this anymore. Well, it's a huge lie of Satan. We need our life to be anchored on the gospel promises daily. Right? Daily. Why? Because, again, it's the sa- it's encounter with the saving work of God from which faith grows up in our life. Right? So we need to be constantly reminded. I think daily, daily reminded of what God has promised and how he has, has saved us, is saving us, and what he will do to save us in the future. 
Um, if you're doubting God's love, if you're at a point in your life right now, or, or someday you will be, where you're just doubting God's love, how could God love me? Feeling unworthy, feeling, you know, that God's not listening to your prayers because you've been crying out to him for so long and, and nothing has happened. And you're feeling fear and doubt and worry. Okay, here's, here's the thing. It means you are spiritually short, right? I'm not trying to be mean. It's just the truth, right? It, it, those doubts don't come from God's spirit. They come from a heart that's spiritually short, that's lacking, that's impatient. And the only solution is to build up our foundation of faith in Christ, right? In the, in the power and truth of the gospel of his saving work. Um, this last summer when I was in the United States and visiting, traveling all around, went to a lot of churches and got the chance to listen to a lot of other people preach, which was good. And... Um, most of it was biblical. Uh, in fact, I think every church I was in, they did preach the Bible. I was relieved by that. But, but here's the truth. Only about half of the churches I went to and visited on that particular Sunday actually preached Jesus. Right? And the thing is, you can preach the Bible and not preach Jesus. You can preach biblical things and not preach the gospel. And in fact, I was in, we were in one church that we kind of randomly stumbled into, didn't know anybody there, just kind of showed up, um, and I'm telling you, in the whole service, the whole service, um, Jesus was not there. Right? The only mention of Jesus in the whole service was in the last worship song, in almost the last line, last phrase of the chorus, Jesus' name was mentioned once. Right? That was all of Jesus we got in the service. And, and I'm telling you, there's, there's no power in it. Right? People cannot be built up where Jesus and the gospel is not the foundation of everything. So as we disciple people, as we have Bible studies, as we uh, counsel, as we minister to people, the gospel should fill all of it. should fill all of it. Have you noticed this? But I try to do this on Sunday morning, right? If you haven't noticed, start paying attention. We're in Exodus, but we're preaching Jesus, right? We're preaching the gospel. Why? Because it's the bedrock of our life and of faith. Um, and I don't mean simply we need to preach, you know, hear these kind of sermons. I mean we need to preach it to ourselves. Right? We need to be daily preaching to ourselves the message of the gospel and applying it to our daily life. Um, I love Colossians 3.15-16 puts it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is the word of Christ? Well, it's the gospel, right? It's what Jesus did, his life, his death, his resurrection, his work to save us. Okay, let that word, the word of Christ, dwell richly in your life. How is it going to get in there? Well, you've got to put it in, right? You've got to do some data entry. You've got to be plugging in by hearing, by reading, by preaching, by talking to yourself, inputting into your heart and mind the word of Christ so that it dwells in you richly. Right? So you're not short on the word. You are long on the word. Teaching and admonishing one another. Right? So we just do this ourselves. But we teach and admonish each other all the time. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
the thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we, we, read the, we read it, we memorize it, we meditate on it. We sing songs that are filled with gospel content. Right? I love that in our, our worship service, our worship leaders do this. I don't know if you noticed, they, they sing a lot about Jesus. Amen? That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And we should, those, those songs should be coming into our mind, right, teaching us. Okay, enough of that first thing. So, so preach the promise. The second thing, keep your focus. Okay, we talked a lot about the inward problem, the inward obstacle of their spiritual lack. Uh, they did have an outward obstacle as well, and that was their circumstances. And the truth is that circumstances can draw all of our attention. That's what happened for them. They were so focused on their problems, they couldn't see anything else. When you're struggling, it's a huge temptation to see only the problem. Okay, it's the Peter syndrome, right? Uh, huge storm. Peter and the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes along walking on the water. They all freak out because now there's a, a, a storm and a ghost. And they're, they're, they're all freaking out. And Jesus says, it's just me. I'm just going for a walk. Chill. And Peter says, yeah, right, it's you. If it's you, then tell me to come out of the boat. Okay, dumbest thing ever. Why he would say that, I don't even know. Jesus says, sure, come on, join me. Right? So Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking to Jesus. And what happens? Well, it says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Right? He starts looking at the circumstances instead of keeping his focus on Jesus. And he sinks. And Jesus, uh, I love it, Jesus pulls him, grabs him up, saves him, and, and Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Well, I know why you doubt. You doubt because you're looking at your circumstances instead of Jesus. Right, so we've got to keep our focus on Jesus, not on the circumstances. That's not easy. Right, when life is killing you and crushing you, it's hard not to be consumed by it. Right, but that's where we have to be that much more determined to Focus on Jesus, to let his words come into our heart and mind and build up our faith so that we are focusing on Jesus and his promises so we can wait with patience and endurance and not give up hope. Lastly, we'll finish with this. Uh, We need to live like it's true. Live like it's true, right? If these promises are real, if we really believe these things, we need to live as if they are true, regardless of our feelings or our circumstances. Right, the story for uh, Moses ends this way. Verses 10 through 11, God says to Moses, Go tell the king of Pharaoh. I want you to go. Tell the king of Pharaoh to let my people go out of this land. Right? We're done. We're leaving. We're packing up. I want you to go tell him that. Moses says to the Lord, Hey, look, the people, if the people of Israel won't even listen to me, why will Pharaoh, right? I can't even get my own people to believe this. You, you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? He says, I, you know, God, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of uncircumcised lips, which is really kind of a funny thing for a lot of reasons I won't go into. But the main thing that's funny about this is, uh, if you remember coming up to this, God tried to kill him because he hadn't circumcised his son. I think what Moses is saying is here, look, God, I'm not qualified for this, right? I, I'm disqualified Go find somebody else. But God says, sorry, you're my man. You go, right? So Moses does not believe this. He's not buying into this. He has no more faith than Israel. But notice what it says in chapter 7, verse 6. So they did just as the Lord commanded them. Did Moses feel like it? No. 
But he was living as if the promises were true. Right? Uh, faith requires action. Okay, faith requires action. It's not something just to say you believe it. If you really believe it, then it requires something. The gospel promises require something of us. Uh, it says, if you've been forgiven much, then you need to forgive others. Uh, walk worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. If the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you must. If the Spirit of Christ lives in you, then you must put to death the deeds of the flesh. Right? These are all things that we are to do if the gospel's true. Jesus says, abide in my love. If you abide in my love, you'll keep my commandments. And by this, you will abide in my love. Right? Faith requires action. So, bottom line is we need to do what's required. Even if you don't believe it, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're about to give up. Pick something that you know you're supposed to do. Share your testimony. Sing a praise song. Give thanks. Right? Do something. Put faith into action, even if you don't feel like it. You'll be amazed what God will do. Quick testimony. Uh, for all my, most of my spiritual life, I struggled with a lot of depression. Right? And... Um, I went. I, I, you know, I was. I went to seminary, got my degree in counseling, which was great because then I get to learn all about depression, and I got to be an expert in depression, right? And uh, part of that, you go to counseling, and I learned all the reasons I was depressed, and I learned, um, you know, what you're supposed to do to not be depressed, and uh, none of it helped, right? None of it helped. I still was depressed. I still was depressed by things. Not all the time, but. These waves of depression would come that would just wipe me out. And I felt so unworthy. I felt, God, why would God love me? Right? I felt so unworthy. And I was convinced that when God didn't answer my prayers, when God didn't work, well, of course he wouldn't. Why would God care about a loser like me? Right? Um, so what changed? Well, praise God, God has changed my heart, and now I really am... Almost never depressed. Monday mornings are depressing because Sunday kills me. But after that, I'm good. Right? What changed? Well, at some point in my life, I started preaching the gospel to myself. Right? I started drinking in God's word, not just in my head, but experiencing at some level an encounter with his promises in the gospel. And it changed me. Right? It changed my heart. It, it, it made me realize that, yeah, I am a loser, but that's the point, right? God loves me not because I'm good or because my faith is big enough. God loves me because he's a God of love who's promised through the work of Jesus to, to love and care, to adopt me, to make me his own. Not based on what I do, but on who he is. Right? So, it's um, my, my call to you, you know, Anchor your life in Christ. I'm going to ask, I think Craig's praying this morning. Craig's going to come. As, as he comes, just bow. Uh, are you discouraged? Um, are you building up your heart of faith? Yeah, um, what can you do to make your faith deeper in Christ? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.